Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Amplify. I'm your host, Sam Mishu, and today's episode is another installment in the Conversation series. Today, our special treat is a discussion with none other than Dr. Rob Orman about cognitive reframing, something that is a very important tool both in medicine and probably in the rest of our lives. But before we start, don't forget June is our birthday month at EB Medicine, and you can go to ebmedicine.net and save 25% off your subscription price this month by using the code BDAY22. Check it out at ebmedicine.net. And now on our special guest, Dr. Rob Orman. All right, ladies and gentlemen, today I have a special treat for you. My guest on the podcast is none other than Dr. Rob Orman himself, the expert speaker, master podcaster, former medical educator, master educator, and now <laughs> single purveyor of roborman.com expert physician coaching, who uh, I have known for a significant period of time, and I must say my life is better for it. Today, we are talking about an experience a colleague of mine had in the emergency department and how it affected that colleague for the short amount of time that we were discussing the case. So specifically, the case was a patient who came in complaining of chest pain. And it wasn't anything special. It was chest pain. There was a little radiation to the back. The EKG was nonspecific. The troponin was elevated. The pain was improving and was almost gone. And the patient needed admission for an NSTEMI. And I don't really want to get into the medical weeds because they had a non-SD elevation MI and the medicine service was coming to admit them. It was the end of my colleague's shift and she's about to go home. She's written the admit order and is about to walk out the door and there's just something about this case that's bugging her. And she's kind of ruminating on this. Well, you know, she did say that it radiated to her back and I'm just not sure. So she decides to put her things down walk back into the room and just do a quick point of care ultrasound on this patient. And there she sees what she thinks is an aortic dissection flap at the bedside using the point of care ultrasound. So she puts a pause on the routine order set, which includes anticoagulants and all these things which haven't been given yet. The patient gets rushed over to CT for a stat chest angiogram and lo and behold, the patient does have an aortic dissection. So she pauses the admission to medicine, consults cardiothoracic surgery, the patient goes off to the OR, all is well in the emergency department. And then she's hit with this moment of what she says as, oh my goodness, I almost killed this patient. This person came in with an NSTEMI. I was about to give them all of these anticoagulants and just admit them to medicine. No one would have been the wiser. And this was a huge near miss. So she sat in that for a while, came over to my side of the emergency department, told me all about the case, and kept repeating, I just can't believe that I almost killed this patient. And we discussed it briefly the next day. I see her again, and she repeats the same thing. And all I, all I could think was, this, this was not a near miss. This was a a tremendous save on her part. The amount of skill it took for her to pick out that one tiny mention of back pain for this patient, for it to stick into her mind, for her to go back and use the point-of-care ultrasound to see something exceedingly difficult to see at the bedside with a point-of-care ultrasound, and then 
halt all of this machinery that she had already put into place, send her off to CT, make the correct diagnosis, and then get her to the OR really was quite impressive. And, and I kept telling her, I almost killed this patient is the wrong way to look at this case. You saved this person's life. You made an exceptionally hard to make diagnosis and you did it well. And she kept looking at me going, yeah, but I almost killed this patient. <laughs> and I said, there's, there's gotta be a term for this kind of thinking. So I spent a little time looking and there is this concept of cognitive reframing or changing the way that you're looking at or interpreting a scenario. And it's been discussed in emergency medicine. And I'm wondering to myself, well, is there more to this? Is there a better way to do this? Does this kind of thinking, I almost killed this patient. Is it destructive to us as physicians? Is it causing additional stress as I'm sure it is? Cause I've been guilty of this myself pretty much all the time. And is there a method to then turn this around or reframe this so that it's not damaging to our careers. And I could not think of anyone better to discuss it with than Dr. Rob Orman. So Rob, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Sam. Wow. What a case. And that's a great example of reframing right there. It couldn't be more clear. I almost killed that patient versus wait a second. You saved that patient, right? Two different frames on, on the same event. I'm listening case. to that case. I'm thinking, wow, this is not only is this a save, this is a save of saves, which is, it's so easy for us. Like we're armchair quarterbacking it thinking, oh, this wasn't us. We weren't in there. We're looking at it externally, but we're not feeling it. We don't have the inner critic or the inner criticism of it to lament our near miss and feel the weight of it. So yeah, I, I think when you say you didn't really know about reframing, you hit reframing in the really, really big sense of things. Yeah. The concept of reframing is a little novel to me, really. Perhaps we do it and just didn't understand the term, but the idea of it as a concept in emergency medicine is not something, you know, I was taught in residency. It's not something we discussed since residency. It's yeah, great. You know, you did a wonderful job. You saved this patient's life. Now there's 20 other people in the waiting room. Could you please get <laughs> onto that? And we'll discuss this later. And there's never a weird discuss this later. It's always, okay, it's time for you to go home. I'm exhausted now. I don't really want to talk about this. And so th there's got to be some correct way of doing this that is not detrimental to our practice. Because I can think, I mean, this is a case of aortic dissection, but there are innumerable diagnoses in emergency medicine that are exceedingly difficult to make. Spinal epidural abscess, early necrotizing fasciitis, like all of these things may present in vague or difficult to diagnose scenarios. And there's all these small things we can tease out in the history here and there, but th that interaction of the history is so fragile and, and can be misinterpreted so easily and patients can forget to say things, it's exceptionally difficult to make some of these diagnoses and what we consider to be near misses, or in this case, I almost fill in the blank, are really, gosh, they're just damaging to our psyche for sure. Yeah, there's so much in what you just said there. Packing up a couple steps. So those things that those life-threatening diseases that present with subtle presentations, really, if you think about it logically, the expectation should be that you I mean, I hate to say this, that you miss a diagnosis, right? Because it's a subtle presentation. It is an atypical presentation that does not have the pattern 
were that you would normally diagnose this, right? This patient with an NSTEMI. Oh, presented like an NSTEMI. It has an EKG, has a troponin, et cetera. Yes, pattern of NSTEMI. Obviously, there was something in there that that physician said, ah, there's something not quite right here. So some of that has to do with us as perfectionists. You know, some of it has to do with our strong inner critics. And some of it, frankly, has to do with the system of blaming rather than looking at root causes, et cetera. Mm. Some of that comes from the medical legal aspect yeah. of it. Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get sued. I'm going to get blamed. This is going to be horrible. But I want to actually take 10 steps back. Let's do it. Right. So we, we're talking about reframing here, which is basically thinking about something differently to have a different state, different mental state, different physiologic state in you. So for example, like the classic reframe or a classic example is someone cuts you off in traffic and you think, oh, what a jerk. And the reframe can be, oh, maybe they have something important. Like they just heard that their loved one is in the hospital and they're rushing off and then you feel compassion. So it is this thinking about the same thing from a different perspective to make a different feeling and a different inner dialogue in you. Mm. So that's the basics of reframing, which sounds super easy. But when we're talking about situations like this, like a near miss or even a miss, I think that they're, you know, they're pretty similar in what you go through. So I want to just acknowledge that when something like this happens, it's really hard to do a reframe right away because you feel it like a gut punch. Your heart sinks, your face gets flushed and you feel a surge of all these things like angst and shame and fear. So I say the first thing would be just like a little bit of grace for yourself in a situation like this. It's going to hurt. You've got, and I'm, I'm speaking to the, the listeners, regardless of what you do, whether you're a physician, whether you're an uh, advanced practice provider, a paramedic, a nurse, a tech, you have really high standards. You trained well and you're trying to do your best. You are doing your best. And this criticism, the self-criticism comes after the fact. But when you're in the moment, it's like you're in a tunnel. It, it may not be obvious what's the best choice, but the choice moving forward, like as you're in that sequence of events, like what you decided on for your next step, it makes sense. It makes sense when you're there. Now, when you look back and see all the possibilities, rather than a tunnel, you see a tree mm-hmm. or a many tributary river or something with infinite branches where, oh, of course, the obvious answer was there all along. And so when you're in cases like M&M, it's from the perspective of looking back. You see all the potential tributaries. It's not from the perspective of the person in the moment. Is that really the best way to go about it? We look in retrospect and we have that bias of, oh, of course, of course, this is all obvious. And another aspect of this is that it's so often approached from the personal standpoint of blame, right? Who's to blame? Who's to blame here? Which is very hard to reframe and can be so destructive. So first off, is there a systemic standpoint? Is there some kind of a systems issue that can help protect from this? I think that's something that can be lacking from M&M. It can also be lacking from our analysis and maybe reframing of these situations. So a reframe, when you're talking about a reframe for this, there's definitely a process that you can go through. Like, like how do you move through this? How do you move beyond it? First emotion, 
first, the emotions need to be processed because one mistake that we make is to be purely intellectual about it, mm -hmm. right? So you're your partner there, you're saying like, you know, I'm not sure what I did. Yeah, that's great that you were there for your partner to talk to. So while the intellectual stuff is important, it's the emotional aspect, I think, first that needs the attention. And we know, having been through relationships in our lives, that emotional issues are not well addressed with logic, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> My wife might agree with <laughs> I got to tell you that that is a personal weakness has been my entire life. I, I have to deliberately pause and think, okay, there is an emotional side to this issue that I am not addressing and be very intentional about doing so in all things in my life. That is not my strong suit. Uh, in fact, even when it comes to things like notifying family that their loved one has died in the emergency room or what have you, it's it's the one thing I did learn from those kind of message delivery training sessions was you don't go, your loved one died, but they're in a better place right now. And then just walk out the room. You're not going to get past that emotional component and that grieving just by suggesting some platitude that makes them feel better. Oh, but, but, but they, but I don't think they had any pain. Oh, but it was quick. Oh, but it was whatever. Nope. It's just your loved one is dead. And then we just have to pause and wait and let that hang in the room so people understand. So, so yeah, uh, I totally get that. That is not my strong suit. Yeah. When you're talking about the death tell, that's the most intense example of that. And going back to what happened with you and your partner saying, Hey, you did a good job. I would have done the same, right? These are the things that we're so prone to say when it's really fresh mm. or these things are easy to miss. Like we were talking about before, that's all great. I mean, yes, that's like, you're, you're being supportive, right? Hey, I'm, I'm your supportive friend here. But the first thing that that person has, they've got a burning in their chest. They got 20 pounds of lead sitting in their belly or some feeling like that. Yeah. So first I'd say, feel it allow it, just acknowledge it. Mm. What are you feeling? Where do you feel it? And what works for you to process that? All the reframing that happens later. Mm. There's, there's just like that raw emotion, limbic aspect. We're not talking prefrontal cortex logic. We're just pure feeling. And it's different for each of us with these things. I don't know what, what works for you. It's something that you probably know for yourself. For me, in these situations, it's phone a friend time. And it has to be has to be the right friend. The right friend. Choose wisely. So, yeah. So I have I have a friend that we we both know who is a critical care specialist who I used to call after hard critical care cases where I thought I'd bumbled things. And what I would get was the analysis of how I actually did F it up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe don't call him. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's just, hey, I need to, I just need to talk this out. Got a few friends to put some distance between me and the event. For some, it's exercising or journaling or whatever, but just something to process that emotion. Yeah. Which is why debriefs can be so. So, in a debrief, the ideal debrief in something like this is emotion before logic. Or you can do a personal debrief, which we can certainly talk about. But right after to just say, hey, you can talk about what went well, what could have done better, what did you see, feel, just get it out there and non-judgmental emotional release mm -hmm. or debrief. And so as a 
friend or as a confidant right after the event, I think that the real master skill is just to listen and be compassionate and empathetic or empathic and dissecting the case and, oh, like this, this is hard and this. Yeah, you can believe that, but that's usually not the space that they're in right at that moment. Yeah. Well, that's a great point. Yeah, we definitely did not do that. I was probably the wrong person for that, no. but but no, I will do I better next so, time. Sam. If you're listening, my friend, I will do better <laughs> next time. Uh, okay. All right. So good. So So must spend time acknowledging the emotions and allowing that to take its role first before attempting any kind of reframing or before providing that kind of supportive, well, it was a really difficult case and these things are frequently missed and all these other things in an attempt to make them feel better. It's first allow them to feel what they're feeling before trying to make them feel better. Yeah, I think otherwise you're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe the reframe. A reframe is to create a state change, a mental and a physiologic and physical change in your being. And mm -hmm. if you don't believe what you are telling yourself, that's... <laughs> It just ain't going to work. Yeah. So speaking of not believing yourself, like this brings up an interesting question in my mind regarding yeah. cognitive reframing. The, the concept is that at the appropriate time, we can take a difficult case like this and cast it in a different light. But is there an extreme to this? Is it possible to take it too far? Can you become almost delusional in the way that you think about this? I think of the terrible physician who you know, kills 10 patients in a row and goes, oh, they were all 10 exceedingly difficult cases. I had 10 spinal epidural abscesses in a row and it's a super rare thing and they all died. And it's it's not me. It's it's definitely just a, a product of bad timing. And at some point you go, you're actually deluding yourself. You're a terrible <laughs> physician. Uh, that's the reason why your patients keep dying. Uh, so, so where's the spectrum? How do I, how am I supposed to gauge reframing something cognitively versus just deluding myself? What's the difference there? There's sort of two sides of the same coin. I don't know. Were, were, you, a, were you a Star Trek fan? Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I know you were saying. Oh, of course. Okay, so it was like this episode where there was like good Spock and evil Spock, the Spock uh -huh. with the goatee. Oh, like, we might be losing some listeners right now. <laughs> right? They were they were both Spock, but they were also they were like the enantiomers or the mirror image or the uh, the opposites. Right. So reframing, thinking about something in a different way, like this case, for example. Oh, I I had a near miss. Yes, you did. Wow, you had a great save. Yes, I did. You know, both are true. Both are just different perspectives. You're changing your perspective. And which is the one that you really anchor to? So this reframing is rooted in conscious awareness. And the process is acceptance and you're moving towards regulation, regulating yourself and your response to it. And in the end, you're making the choice. You are making the choice to be open to curiosity and you're expanding your thinking with new perspectives and you are making better connections. You're integrating what happened. You are creating new beliefs. It's true, but also improving performance. All of these things are aspects of the reframe, whereas delusion and so the opposite of this would be rooted in a lack of conscious awareness. So somebody who was 
not aware, there's no process of acceptance. And instead of moving to this world of sort of intentional awareness, it's a world of escape. It's escape mm. to cope. And it can, it, it can also ha have a sense of regulation and confirmation, like you're, you're talking about your diluted uh, idea there, uh, you know, confirmation of some past experience. I mean, in the ED, you see patients with delusions, like these yeah. fixed beliefs. It moves towards disconnection and disintegration and shows up as chaos and rigidity. So when you think of someone who has reframed like this event, chaos and rigidity are not the end product. Yeah. It's connection, improved performance, a more expansive mindset. So I'm not sure if that kind of got too into the weeds, but that, that's, no, it's good. that would be a difference between reframing and delusion. So, so then the process of cognitive reframing results in ideally in a synergy between what you know and then your performance to, to improve your skills as a physician, your abilities as a physician in this particular scenario. So this near miss, whatever you want to call it, cognitively reframed at some later point will make this physician better at what they do and help them learn from an experience like this, opposed to say, deluding themselves into just dismissing it and moving on and saying, nope, that was just one of those zebra presentations and it is what it is and I'm out of here. And then, then you're not learning anything. You're not a better physician for it. There's no education or growth in that process. Did I get that right? Well, let me just course correct on that just a, a degree or two, because what you're talking about is a very specific reframe. So there is one reframe, which is not untrue, which is these things are really hard to diagnose. Yeah. Therefore, I just will not diagnose them. <laughs> so, Fair enough. so that, that takes like, I, I feel better. Now I feel much relief. I feel much relief that I, I don't ever have to worry about subtle aortic dissection. Great. What you're talking about is learning from this experience. And that is, I, I think, one of the most potent reframes. So I want to give a couple examples of this. I don't know if you and I ever talked about this. And this it's funny, this is the same intensivist who I was mentioning before. Ah, yes, yes. But so I, years ago, I was working in a rural ED and a guy on his motorcycle got hit by a car and then dragged underneath the car for a couple hundred yards oh. right in front of the hospital, right there, right there. He was brought in like within a minute of getting hit, unannounced traumatic arrest. Boom, here he is. And we think well, you do all these things in a trauma arrest, but this was no preparation. And, you know, I, I did the stuff eventually, but I'll be honest, I kind of froze. Mm. I wasn't like actually frozen. I was doing stuff and he wasn't going to survive this. But I thought, okay, I was not up to the task. I, I was not good enough. And that's true. Actually, I think from a... For just between you and me, I, well, I guess in the many listeners here, <laughs> I, I was not at a master skill level for managing that particular situation. I had never been in that situation. Sure. That doesn't mean that I wasn't going to be again because I was mm -hmm. going to be working in this rural ED for a long time. So the first thing was just process it. What's going on? What am I feeling? And then the reframe is, all right, here's a situation 
what do I learn here to get better in the future? And that's what you're talking about is the growth mindset, which is, which is a reframe. I am a student. So in that situation, because that was the reframe of, all right, this situation is a learning opportunity rather than this situation is only a demonstration of my inadequacy here. Both are true. So I eventually weighted more heavily the learning opportunity. So I called our, our friend and I said, all right, what would you in this situation? And we worked out a framework. If this happens, here's your first minute. You do this, this, and this, and that's it. That's all the only three things you need to do. It was, you don't need to intubate, put someone on the, on the airway, do this. Finger, vent both chests, look at the heart, boom, boom, boom. Because in this whole thing, one nurse wanted to do an EKG, one nurse wanted to do this, one nurse, like the, the doctor, me, I wanted to do this, and it was chaotic. So mm. reframing into a learning opportunity. So I work with many different clients on it. This is usually not the, the main thing that people come to coaching for, but it comes up, right? Like, oh my God, I had this really hard case, or I'm having a hard time transitioning from home to work. Mm. Right. That's because you're just like, you're dealing with all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so an exercise that I have clients do, and actually I made a guided walkthrough of this. I have a publicized it's on YouTube. You can put it in the show notes yeah. if you want. I, I made it for, for two clients. It's a walkthrough of how do you reframe what just happened in your shift at the end of the day? Because we have so many tangled knots in our brains about what actually happened mm -hmm. during the day. You know, you've got the tunnel going forward. You got the trees going back. Like, and walking through this, we're talking about the emotions first. So the first part of this is some breathing exercises to downregulate, to calm, because we're so sympathetically charged. We're just like, just buzzing, or we just, our brain feels like white noise. Can a brain feel like white noise? Yeah, my <laughs> brain does. <laughs> this is probably because that's all that's in it all the time. <laughs> So, so the process here, and this is going to get to the, the reframe is walking through the day and picking out the things that went well, yep. like a debrief, yeah. what went well. And we're prone to focus on the things that went poorly, much like your partner For sure. is kind of like, oh my gosh, I just miss this case. Like you find that little tiny little spark of, yeah, huh. That was a, that was a near miss. Sure mm -hmm. enough. So we focus on those things. And so as we walked in the day, what, what, what went well? And it's pretty surprising. Wow. All these things went well. So for example, I, the other day I had this really unpleasant experience and it was just like, I, I left there with just like feeling bad about myself that I didn't do a great job. But then I did this exercise and I broke down the, the day into its constituent elements. And it turns out that 99.9% .9 of it was awesome. And I was like, wow, that was <laughs> incredible. So that's the first part of this is, hey, what went well? And then the second part is, what's one thing that went less well? I would have liked to have gone differently or done better. And then what can I take away from it? How can I be better next time? Mm. And it's just like, okay, what do I need to do? Do I need to read up on this? Do I need to just think about how I'd approach it differently or whatever? It's just, uh, yeah. what is the, what's the learning here? So it's an immediate reframe of that event. You're reframing it for the positive and 
the area where I could be better. And I don't say the negative because you're going to be hard enough on yourself as it is. It's just, where can I learn? Where can I be better? And then at the end, this, you just do this in your own car because it might feel strange to, to, to in do life. it in public. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. And at the end of this, you just say out loud, release, mm. release, just release attention, release the, uh, the, the, the energy or the valence of the day. And of course, because these things are still emotive, the feelings can come back. But I found that this little basically reframe or frame, just frame, it's not even reframing, it's just framing of the day can be really powerful in untangling it and setting an emotional state of curiosity and learning rather than self-criticism. Mm -hmm. Gosh, that is... Yes, we definitely need the links to those videos. I think this would be an invaluable process. It reminds me actually that just yesterday, I'm working in our busy emergency department and in the first hour of my arrival, yeah. I, I sent someone to the cath lab, heart cath lab. I sent an acute stroke to the neuroendovascular lab and I had a COPD with hypercapnic respiratory failure progressing the BiPAP very quickly and saw someone in a car accident with a traumatic shoulder dislocation that I couldn't put back in without sedation. So I'm telling the nurses, hey, I need to sedate this person. We got to get all of our equipment and all of our protocols and we got to get all of our ducks in a row, but the shoulder's out and the person's in pain and the family's with them and they're constantly asking. And meanwhile, of course, I saw all the rest of these people, all this stuff is going on and yeah. my frustration is just growing. It's just taking so long to get all this stuff together. And my PA comes to me and and my, my partner who's leaving is like, hey, is this a good time to go over some things? I'm like, sure. I mean, I'm frustrated as can be. I'm waiting for all this stuff to get set up. And he's like, what's going on? I said, you know, I've been here an hour and I've already seen a chest pain I had to send emergently to the cath lab, a, a stroke who had emergently go to the neuro lab as a large vessel occlusion, can't get TPA. Somebody I'm progressing to BiPAP on because her respiratory failure, I'm, I'm worried about intubating her and now I've got to put the shoulder in and I just stopped for a second and went good land like my nurses are actually dealing with all four of those patients maybe it's just taking so freaking long to get the stuff together for the shoulder because all these other people are acutely dying <laughs> and, and so I stopped for a second and I said hang on I gotta just go tell this shoulder guy hey we're, we're gonna get you some pain meds I'm really sorry it's taking so long but Right now, you're surrounded by people who are actively dying and, and we're doing our best. And we, we, I promise we will get to you. That was only the first hour of the shift, but it at least provided me a moment of insight as I walked over to my nurses again and again and again and said, hey, we got to go. We got the shoulder. We got to go. We got the shoulder. And I kept getting the, sure, as soon as I take this patient to the cath lab, as soon as these people come down and get this, as soon as we get this patient on the vent, as soon as we X, Y, and Z for all of these other critical patients. And I kept thinking, gosh, this is taking way too long until that one moment that my partner said, hey, is, is this a good time to, to, to run the board so I can get out of here? <laughs> <laughs> and I finally was able to verbalize and articulate all this and went, oh, gosh, man, this has been a terrible first hour. <laughs> but sure, let's run the board. What do you have for me? <laughs> okay, so... I, I want to dig a little deeper into what you experienced there because yes, you did a point of care reframe. So you went from, why is this so bad to, oh, 
We're all working as hard right. as we possibly can. How did you feel? At the end, I felt, honestly, it was a relief. It was like, a oh, relief. Whoa, I don't yeah. feel like the stress, the immediate need to go plop this shoulder in this patient is not dying. I, what I needed to do was just to go and tell the patient that there was all this other stuff going on and tell the family that and say, it's, it's going to be okay. Don't keep running out here. Everybody else is, is working. We promise we're working and we will be back as soon as we can, but you're going to be okay. And just that reassurance for them was valuable. And for me, that acknowledgement of all this other stuff going on just immediately got rid of all of my annoyance with my nursing staff. And I'm thinking, why is it taking so long? And then all of a sudden I realized, oh, it's because they're treating all of these critical patients I just saw. That's why it's taking so long. Yeah, it was a huge relief. And honestly, it, I don't know that I would have made it through the rest of that shift had I not had that understanding all of a sudden that we're all in this together. Well done. Well done. And chapeau, as they right, say. Right. In, Completely in unintentional. <laughs> yeah. but, but, but I like the concept of, of having the tools to do this. Like you mentioned, usually this is something that you drop into a puddle of pudding at the end of the shift as you sit in your car and go, ah. Like I can finally just breathe and realize, gosh, I'm thirsty. I haven't had anything to drink in three hours. I haven't been to the bathroom in four hours. And I just need a moment to sit in quiet and think about all of the stuff that's been running through my head all day, how valuable that is. So uh, as you're talking about the chaos of that AD, it, it makes me think of, I think the most potent reframe I ever learned. And it changed my world. The one interview that I, I, I've wanted to do since I started podcasting was with a guy named Barry Curzon, who is the, he's the Dalai Lama's personal physician. Nice. Uh, yeah. So he's trained as an FP and he's a, a super interesting guy and certainly has access to another super interesting guy. And he's just, I'd watched him speak and he's just, I had a really just thoughtful approach to things. Grew up in California. So. This is like, what is your approach to life here? So I finally got a chance to interview him. And I was asking him about patients that you're really frustrated with, say like a borderline personality mm -hmm. patient or a patient with borderline personality or someone who is like really angry. You know, we've got all of these techniques to diffuse. We've got verbal judo and validation and all this. It's like, look, but sometimes you are just overwhelmed by the moment. Right? Of course, sometimes you need to just walk out. And yes. And just walk back in. I said, how do you approach that situation when you are just so frustrated and you can't, you cannot stand the person that you are in the same room with? And he said, compassion. Mm. Compassion is the reframe. And I said, okay, you are meditating all day. I'm obviously, he's a physician and he's dealing with patients, but just like presenting this situation, I said, okay, so you were, you were meditating and not all day, but you were, you were meditating and you were immersed in this stuff all the time, but put yourself in that room. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of hard to feel it. How do you do it? Yeah. He said, you know, sometimes you have to fake it before you actually believe it. What, he said, what I would recommend is just say to yourself, just as I want to be well and happy, I want this person to be well and happy. I don't own their decisions. I don't own their outcome, but I really do want them to be well and happy. Yeah. And just thinking that in that moment is such a 
potent thing that just kind of like, you know, this person is just, they are also doing their best, right? Mm -hmm. We're all fighting the fight. They're doing their best too, even though, you know, what they're, these, these self-defeating behaviors. But I, I hear in my position, I have a choice of what my perspective is, of what my frame is. And if I want them to be well and happy, then where's the lose in that? What's yeah. the, you know, it, it's, it's win-win. Mm. There, there's this great quote. Okay, so this was Lisa Hayes who's a relationship strategist. And, and whether she was the actual originator of this, I don't know, but this is certainly attributed to her. She said, be careful how you're talking to yourself because you are listening. Mm. And, you know, you can think, ah, oh, it's just like sort of a trite aphorism, but it's so true. I mean, like, who do you hang out with more than yourself? Mm -hmm. Nobody. No one else. That's so true. Wow. Well, that's certainly a lot to think about when we're in the emergency department of all places, I mean, you talk about the pressure cooker of pressure medicine cooker. is yeah. the emergency department. And when you're practicing in that environment, these skills, they've gotta be critical to our practice for longevity. I don't understand how anyone could practice emergency medicine as a career and not have developed or have a need at least for these skills. And it's just, Honestly, it's a shame that this isn't part of our medical education in training. There's so many other things we train on that this might be just as critical. Having this, the tools to take these kinds of moments and really cast them in the right light, reframe them, learn from them, and use them to, to become a better physician are really critical. And I would imagine this is, again, not necessarily what they come to you for as a coach, but certainly a big part of what you do when you work with your clients. Yeah, it certainly comes up. For the most part, we're talking about burnout and talking about overwhelm or leadership challenges, or sometimes there's a behavior that somebody has that maybe was tolerated earlier on in their training. I mean, it's not so well tolerated now, and uh, you're going to get some problems if we don't, don't address this. But the, these things invariably come up because I work just with physicians. And so this is part and parcel to it, as you said, right? Don't get this training. Don't, yeah. Maybe a, a little bit, but how do you process this? How do you navigate your career? How, like, how do you make your career awesome? How do you want it to be? Like, we never talk about that. Talk about aortic dissection like that, which is super important, right? That's the expectation is that you're going to know all this stuff. But the other things, I don't know what you'd call like the soft science or just the cognitive processes of, I, you know, I guess the word would be thriving or th flourishing, thriving mm. and flourishing in your career. Like that's not something that necessarily gets great import in our training or development. Going all the way back to primary school, we don't learn these skills. And it makes me think of one client who developed this incredible tool for this case and these situations because you just kind of feel bad down the road. And then you look back and think, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did what I did. But in the moment, of course, we're looking down this tunnel and it's the letter to future self. Mm. When you're in these moments, right? When you feel it, when you feel it happening, they think, dear future self. And they actually think it, right? Like they, in their mind are writing this letter, dear future self, in this case, in this moment, 
I did the best I could with the information I had. And that's it. And that's a reframe right there. Just appreciating that you can only act on what's happening in this moment rather than on the information that you'll know the next day. So the letter to future self, when I heard that, it was just amazing. It is. And it's got a lot of weight. I, I, I wondered if it would work and it has worked. Yeah, I mean, we're in 2022. You could pull up your phone and record a little audio for yourself, dictate something into your notes or send yourself an email even that just says, hey, this is the moment I'm in right now. And this is what it was like. What a powerful tool that would be even to look I back love- on that. And, and it's almost like a little mini journal of where you yeah. were at that moment. That's impressive. I, I, I like that actually, actually writing the letter. Yeah, it's like, hey, what? you could do this in audio just to yourself. We, we do so many things on our little smartphones. Why not one more that would actually be useful to you? And then it would save it and you could reference it again and go, listen, this is what it was like for me in the moment. There is a great quote from Mark Twain. It goes like this. I've experienced many terrible things in my life, a few of which actually happened, which I think summarizes for me the mental state <laughs> I'm in. When these things occur, the near miss, the it could have been or what would have occurred or how close was this is just really a perseveration of something that didn't actually happen. It, it, it was something that could have happened, but didn't. And in this process of reframing, I think, is heavily undersold in our specialty and something that we could all benefit from. All right. So this Mark Twain thing brings up a super powerful reframe. Since we're talking about reframing, most of the time when we're in that state of, what do you say? Oh, my lands. I like that. Oh, my lands. Oh, oh, my lands. When we catastrophize, right? We internally catastrophize, which is what was happening with your partner. You yeah. know? So it's, just, it's the catastrophe of the near miss. We just, what if, what if, what if? What if that is the frame of catastrophization? The reframe for that, which we got into with like, how do you learn from that? So if you find yourself in, oh my gosh, what if, see if you can change that frame to what's next? Mm -hmm. What is my next step? What do I do? How do I learn? What do I do with this patient? Shift from what if to what's next. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. Yeah, that gives it a purpose. It's not just rumination for the sake of rumination and, and causing extra anxiety. It actually gives it a purpose and, and, and something you can gain from it. I like that a lot. That's an excellent point. Wow. Well, we have, we've talked about a lot of things. And if you're listening to this podcast, I encourage you, roborman.com, to go and take a look at Rob's website, and the, the, the skills, the practices, the things he does as a coach, but also to take a listen to his podcast, Stimulus, which covers actually many of these kinds of things on a regular basis and is available in any podcast store out there and also on the website as well. If you are podcast naive and listening, it's also there. <laughs> uh, you can't be that podcast naive because you're listening to this podcast. So. Right. You, you, are, you are speaking to a, a podcast sophisticated audience. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So in the show notes today, I'll include the link to the website. I'm going to put in the link to the YouTube videos for the post-work mindset that you created. 
And as always, if you have comments or questions on the website at ebmedicine.net, so many ways to reach out to us, please do. And until next time, Dr. Rob Orman, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and spending a little time to make us better physicians, better nurses, better medics, just better at what we do in general. Oh, thank you so much, Sam. It has been just an absolute delight to get to chat with you today and spend a little time. Well, that's a wrap, everyone. Thank you again, Rob, for being a guest on the show. Such valuable information and applicable in so many ways. And don't forget, again, June is our birthday month. ebmedicine.net. Save 25% off your subscription price this month. Until next time, I'm your host, Sam Mishu. Be safe, everyone.